0: Morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Let's pray together. Lord, we come bringing everything that we are, and we offer it to you. We offer you our praises. We offer to you uh, our anticipation of a new school year for those starting a new year. We bring our sorrows. We bring our worries. Lord, teach us to bring it to you and to open ourselves to your spirit and what you want to do in us and in this body in this day. And we thank you. Amen. Let's stand and do the call to worship together responsibly. Glorious God, we come together as your people. We come as a praising people, singing your goodness. We come as a praying people, bringing our needs and our joys. In this hour of worship, inspire and empower us for lives lived in faithfulness to your calling. Amen.
1: Before you're seated take a moment and uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today It's a joy to come together in worship today, and we're so glad that you are here as a part of this gathering. We welcome those of you who may be guests this morning, and we also welcome uh, new and returning uh, college and academy students. It's great to have you back; you always bring such a energy not only to the town but to our church. And uh, we're excited to uh, to be together and look forward to a wonderful year of worship and spiritual nurture uh, through Christ as we join our hearts and our spirits together. There are some things I want to highlight that are in the bulletin. Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, we are hosting a service of prayer here at the church. Uh, we, the pastoral staff, will be available for uh, anointing and prayer for those of you who would like that. We'll also spend some time praying for uh, just the academic year and asking for God's grace upon us as we move into the, this another new year of learning and of growth. Uh, first Koinonia will be tonight at 7 o'clock in chapel, and this is uh, a great time of music and worship, and we invite you to be a part of this gathering. You'll also notice that the adult choir uh, begins rehearsals on Tuesday of this week. We'd love to have you be a part of the choir and use your gifts and talents that God's given you, and you see the information in the bulletin about that. Next Sunday morning is the beginning of Christian Life Emphasis Week. It's always a highlight in the life of our church in the year. And uh, we will uh, begin that in our worship services here next Sunday and following through Wednesday up in the chapel to college. There's a plethora of inserts in your bulletin today. You may have noticed that. Uh, Partly because we want to present you with opportunities to get involved in small groups, in Bible studies, in uh, in other ways of uh, nurturing your faith. Uh, we also want to give you the opportunity to be involved in ministry, which is a significant way that we nurture faith. And so we encourage you to take a look at the uh, the inserts and uh, involve yourself as much as you can, whether it's in a, in a prayer group or a Bible study group or small group or involved in ministry. And you may be interested in children, youth, adults, uh, music, whatever. And you can drop those uh, sheets in the offering plate. There's a box in the back where you can contact the church office. You can also find more information on the church website. There are always uh, concerns, uh, things for prayer that uh, are in the bulletin, things that are on our minds and hearts. And along with uh, things related to us, here we want to pray for the people who have been affected by Hurricane Isaac, and we want to pray for our world, that God would continue to work miraculously in places of such great need. I invite you now to join me in the prayer of confession. That is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, you are perfect in love, power, holiness, compassion, and truth. We are not. Forgive us for being more concerned with taking love than with giving love. Forgive us for being more concerned with wielding power than with embracing weakness. Forgive us for believing that holiness is defined by behaviors we check off a list than with openness to being filled by your Spirit. Forgive us for being unmoved with apathy toward people in need than with being moved by compassion like Jesus. Forgive us for minimizing the truth so that people will think well of us rather than embracing the truth that sets all of us free. And forgive us for giving others the impression that we are more like you than we are. In your grace and mercy, hear our prayers and give us fullness of life that can be found only in you. Amen.
0: The Old Testament reading today is from Exodus 33, the entire chapter. Exodus 33, page 87 some of the pew Bibles. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way." When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the Tent of Meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, They all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward. God, we thank you for the reminder that you are an awesome and mysterious and powerful being, and yet you know us by name, and you invite us to share in your work, and we count it a privilege, Lord. Pray that we would give you our hearts and our lives and our tithes, amen.
1: We have the opportunity now to pray together, and as it's been our practice for some time, I want to invite those of you who would like to use the altar as your place of prayer as we together turn our hearts to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness and your goodness to us. We come today in desperate need of you. And we come today asking you not only to hear our prayers, but to shape our hearts in such a way that we pray Prayers that honor you and please you and help us to see you as you are. Father, today there are many burdens that are on our hearts, some things about our own lives, some things for others. There are burdens of grief and loss, and burdens of pain. Burdens about relationships, fears about the future, uncertainty. In this moment of silence, we lay lay all of these burdens at your feet. Hear our prayers. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for this world. We pray for the people who have been most affected by Hurricane Isaac. Thank you that the devastation and damage was not nearly what it was when Katrina struck. But we know that there are many people who are homeless, who have lost everything, and have no idea how they're going to move forward. We pray for your grace upon them. We pray, Father, for those places of the world where violence and war are just common life. And we ask that you would bring an end to the violence, that you would send your peace, that you would help your church to be a light in the midst of the violence. to be a place that people turn to and look to and see your mercy and your grace and your goodness. As we embark and move forward in this new academic year, we pray that it will be a year not only of of intellectual growth, but of growth relationally, And most of all, spiritually. We pray, Father, that as we move forward, we will will live with such an openness to you that when we get to the end of this year, we will look back and realize that we are not the same people we were. We are more like Christ than we are today. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our returning King. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
0: Gospel reading for today is from Luke 11. I invite you to stand as we consider the story of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Luke 11 verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples." He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Please be seated. I doubt if I have to convince you that we live in a world of, what have you done for me lately? Right? The the best author is only as good as her latest book. The, the Grammy Award-winning singer is only as good as his latest album. The CEO is only going to stay in place if he brings a profit to the shareholders, and not just yearly, but quarterly. The world's best, best athletes are continually looking over their shoulder because there is someone coming who is faster and stronger and better. And we live in a world in which even when your favorite team wins the championship, almost immediately we're asking, so when are they going to win the next one? But this idea of of a world in which we think, what have you done for me lately, isn't a 21st century invention. This is not even something that started just a few decades ago. This is something you can trace back at least to the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. Now you remember the context of Exodus as the book opens, Israel is enslaved in Egypt. And the people cry out to God and God puts his hand on Moses and he says, "...I want you to go free my people." And of course Moses and God have this conversation about that and eventually Moses goes... And and he becomes God's means of rescuing his people from Egyptian slavery. And God indeed brings them out from the hand of Pharaoh. And he parts the Red Sea and they cross they cross on dry land. And he says to them all the while that they are in the process of leaving Egypt and moving on, that he has this promised land reserved for them. This place that's described as place of milk and honey and it's, Synonymous with the most amazing place you could ever imagine. This is what I have in store for you. The people end up in the wilderness and God is preparing to bring them into that land. And he says, you're going to need some instructions. You need to understand what the expectations are. And so he has Moses come up on the mountain. And for 40 days, Moses is on the mountain talking with God. And God is giving him the commands and the laws of how, how his people should live. And after a while, the, the people still down in the desert get antsy. And they start wondering about what's happened to Moses. And they turn to Aaron and say, you got to do something here. And Aaron says, all right, give me all of your gold. And he pours it into a mold and creates a golden calf. You know, I think one of the most outlandishly humorous lines in all of Scripture is when Moses confronts Aaron. And he says, what, what are you? What were you thinking? And Aaron says, hey, I just took the gold, I threw it in the pot, out came this calf. I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know. It's, you know, even Moses had to smile when he heard that. And, and you know, and the people worship this calf, and there's probably a lot of of uh, hedonistic revelry going on at the same time and as you might well imagine god is angry moses isn't real happy either and he comes down from the mountain and he smashes the tablets and then you come to chapter 33 and chapter 33 opens and god says to moses all right here's the deal i'm going to keep my word I am going to bring my people into this promised land. I'm going to send angels ahead of them to drive out the people who are there. And they are going to get established. But here's the thing. I'm not going with you. Now that was something for God to say because the whole book of Exodus is built around the idea of God dwelling with his people. From the very beginning, God has said to Moses, I'm going to rescue my people from slavery because I want to dwell with them. Chapter 29 says, that the Lord says, this is how people will know that, you are, that I am the Lord and you're my people because I'm going to dwell among you. Everything in this book is leading up to this idea that God is, dwells with his people. Now we take that for granted because we have read the scriptures and we know the heart of God but this is a very unusual idea. Among the other ancient peoples there is no concept of a God who is personal in the same way God is personal. For the other ancient peoples their images of their gods their their gods are, are manipulative and capricious they are angry and hateful And the only reason that human beings exist according to their creation stories are because the gods were forced to create them or because they figured out that maybe these human beings could do something for us. There is no sense of dwelling among them, of having any kind of a healthy relationship with them such as God is wanting with the Israelites. It it reminds me of of the story, the book, uh, the movie, The Help I'm sure many of you have read the book or you've seen the movie. And it's a story about these white socialite women in the the deep south in the 50s, early 60s... ...who hire black women from the other side of the tracks to come and work in their homes. And and these socialite women have these black women in their homes... ...but not to have a relationship with them. And it's not even that they could do something for these women... The only reason those women are in their home is because those women are willing to be paid a pittance to do things that the white socialite women don't want to do. And that's something of the mindset in the ancient Near Eastern cultures of their gods. That these gods don't want to do anything good for us. And the only way they're going to do anything good for us is if we can trick them or manipulate them or somehow convince them to do what they don't want to do. And Yahweh comes along and says, I want to be with you. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. I want us to have the healthiest relationship together, the closest, tightest relationship together anyone could ever have. And now God says, maybe we should change plans. God tells Moses that the reason he's not going with them is because the Israelites are just stubborn, stiff-necked. He says to Moses, I want you to go tell those people you are stiff-necked people. Boy, wouldn't that have been a great sermon to preach and to listen to. I thought about starting today by looking at all of you and saying, you are a stiff-necked people. But then you would have said, what? Uh, that, that word stiff-necked comes from the agricultural world. And it relates to an oxen wearing a yoke. And the the, the, oxen, the farmer puts the yoke on the oxen so that they will plow where he wants them to plow. If you don't put the, the yoke on, the oxen they're just going to amble all over the place. And so he puts the oxen, puts the oxen in the yoke and, and plows the field. And after the field is plowed, then he can plant the crop and later harvest the crop and then eventually feed his family and ironically, the oxen. And so the oxen, put, put, they put this yoke on the oxen, but they don't want the yoke on them. It's heavy. It's constraining. And, and they want to do their own thing. And so they fight the yoke. And some of them, may fight enough and pull and push and even get violent enough with the yoke that perhaps one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to break the yoke or break their neck. And God says to the Israelites, that's what you are. Yikes. In fact, it's the same word that's used to describe the situation that the Israelites find themselves in. When they're in Egypt, that they are, there we go, I don't want to crash, that, that they are enslaved under the yoke of slavery. And it's the word that God uses to describe Pharaoh and Pharaoh's attitude toward God. He is stiff necked. God says, do this, and Pharaoh looks at him and says, no. And God says to Israel, you know, you're like Pharaoh. You know, we understand stiff-neckedness. We get that. You know, how many times do, does God say, here's, here's what I want you to do, and we say, mm, I think I'd rather do this. And we do this. How many times do we turn to God with, in, in distrust and say, why are you doing this to me? Why won't you let me have what I want? Why won't you let me do what I want? How many times do I read the the Old Testament and read the stories of the Israelites, like chapter 32 of Exodus, and I think, man, how stupid can these people be? After all the things God has done for them, and this is what they do, and almost instantaneously, I can just about feel God's tap on my shoulder saying, really, seriously, you're going to talk about their stupidity? Are you kidding me? Come on. We get that, right? And Moses tells us that God, God is angry with them. In fact, he says, I'm not going with you because I'm afraid if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. That kind of bothers us, right? I mean, it offends our sensibilities that God would say that. We we want a, a nicer, gentler image of God than that. It doesn't seem to bother the writers of Scripture because they give us all kinds of times when God says those type of things. But it bothers us. And I think it's because our view of God is skewed. Our view of God is that sort of a doting grandfather who just gives us what we want. He, he, just, he just keeps just giving us whatever we want. And, you know, never makes trouble. Never says anything to us. You know, if, if we want to do that, we can do it. If we want to do that, we can do it, you know. Whatever makes you happy. But God says, I got bigger plans for you than that. You have to remember the Israelites, the Israelites are God's witness in the world. God says, I have brought you out of slavery and I'm establishing you in this land so that the rest of the world will know what it looks like to be related to me. And then they will want what you have and will be drawn to me. And they too will become my people. And they will experience life as I created them to experience it. But when you go off the rails and you go your own way and you you act in this stiff-necked way and you reject me, you send a clear message to the rest of the world that I can't be trusted. That I'm just like all the other gods, so why would they follow me? And that image of me is going to be passed along to your children, and they're going to see me that way. And your grandchildren, they're going to see me that way. And the rest of the world's going to see me that way. No wonder God is angry. I mean, shouldn't we be angry at injustice? Shouldn't we be angry when people who, who should know about God are prevented from knowing about God? Shouldn't we be angry when we see things happening in the world where people are being hurt and needy people are being ignored? Things like human trafficking ought to make us angry. It's not loving to sit back and say, hey, not my problem. It ought to motivate us. We ought to have some passion about it. And God is angry. And the people respond by throwing off their ornaments, which I think is probably a reflection back to the golden calf, because that's how it was made. And they're like, let's distance ourselves from that now. And because it's a sign of celebration, and this is no time to celebrate. This is a time to mourn and repent. And then Moses says to God, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't go with us to the promised land, then it's not really the promised land. If you don't go, we don't want to go. And I am fascinated by those words of Moses. Because I know how often I am more interested in the promises of God and the gifts of God then I am the presence of God. I know how often I am satisfied when God gives me what I want, whether I sense his presence or am open to his presence or not. And Moses declares to God, if your presence isn't with us, then you can keep your gifts. You can keep your promise, because more than anything, we want you. That's a struggle for us, because we live in a world, we have a mindset in our culture, in our society, and even in the church, that what's the quickest, easiest way we can get what we want? You know, we're all about being pragmatic. Just, just get me where I want to go. That's all that matters. And we do that with so much in life, including our relationships. You know, how many people think of, are afraid to get involved in relationships and don't want to get involved in relationships? Why? It's too much work. And relationships are work. Good relationships take time and energy and sacrifice and conversation and work. That's, what, that's how good relationships are developed. And so many people simply say, I don't want to mess with that. Just get me where I want to go. I, I see this often developing as I watch culture. And of course, I don't see it a whole lot here. But I see it as I watch culture in the way that people view weddings. You know that, that I've seen this. I'll make a confession to you. Every so often I watch some of the wedding shows that are on television don't tell anybody I said that, but, uh, you know, and I watch them because it gives you a real insight into how a lot of culture thinks. And what I've discovered is that for all these pe- a lot of these people, the wedding is more important than the marriage. It's all about the wedding. You know, the money and the time and the energy that is invested in the wedding. And it's as though the marriage is just sort of an afterthought. I've totally... Turned the thing on its head. And we see this when when we are more interested in just getting to the end. When God is interested in the journey that gets us to the end. It's not just about where I end up. It's about where I am right now. And God is saying to us, it's not just where I'm going to take you. But where am I in your life today? How are you trusting me today? Where's our relationship today? Today? And too often, I think we've believed the heresy that salvation is primarily about a moment in time instead of a lifetime of relationship with God. It isn't just, I said this and now it's over. It's about the whole relationship for all of our lives. We understand, God, I'd rather have your gifts. And if your presence comes along, that's awesome. But it's really about the gifts. It's about the promise. Someone was telling me recently that... when their children were young... uh, one of the children's grandmothers... used to uh, clean out her purse at night... of all the change that she had accumulated that day. And she had a jar for each one of the grandchildren. And she put the change in the jars. And then whenever the grandchildren came to visit... she would give them the change. Well, as you might well imagine... What happened is every time the grandchildren came to visit, they pulled up to the house, jumped out of the car and ran to the house where grandma to the door where grandma's standing there. And they ran right past grandma because they're going for the loot. And what was started as a really nice, kind gesture ended up, you know, revealing some things about the children that we understand. And I suspect even when the parents said, now look, at least you got to say hi to grandma and give her a little bit of a hug. The whole time they're looking past grandma to the jar and certainly their thoughts are on the jar. And I suspect that there are times where that's our mindset about God. Lord, your presence is great, but what about your gifts? What about your promises? See, we have bought into the culture's idea and you see it in the church that that people believe that what really gets attention is what's flashy and big and magnificent. And certainly God does those things and we give thanks to him for that. But if that's our focus, we're going to miss the presence. If our focus is on the presence, ultimately the gifts and the promises get fulfilled but God is saying, it's not just about gifts. It's not just about thinking, how can you manipulate me into giving you what I want? I want relationship with you. I want to be with you. And it's such a passion for us to want God's presence that we are willing to say, if we don't have your presence, then we don't want the gifts. We want the presence that much. Verse 16, Moses says, Lord, that's the only way the rest of the world is going to know that we're your people. The only way the world is going to know that we're your people is if you're with us. And so we as a community of faith will only be defined as God's people if our passion is for the presence of God. And what does that look like? What does it look like to have have a passion for the presence of God? I think you can boil it down to having a desire to be filled with the Spirit. Living our lives with such openness to God that what we want more than anything is for the Spirit to live in us and to dwell in us. And we know the Spirit is living in us when the things of the Spirit come out of us. So that when we are being pushed to the limit, we still choose patience. When the whole world says, hoard what you can because you don't know how long you're going to be able to keep it, we choose generosity. Sacrificial generosity. When we'd rather not spend time, hang around with people who are needy and and, and people that aren't like us, but we choose compassion and involvement anyway when we want to lash out and still choose gentleness when we want people to embrace our opinions but instead speak God's truth We're beginning to understand what it means to be passionate about the presence of God. It's about choosing servanthood. So much so that that we still act like a servant when people treat us like one. As we embark on this new year. We are faced with a decision. What's our passion going to be? Where's our focus going to be directed? Are we more about the gifts and the promises of God or about the presence of God? It's the passion of our heart to be filled with the Spirit so much so that the Spirit comes out of us. And people begin to look at us and say, Those people have something different. And I want to know more about that. You remember Jesus says to his disciples in the last night before going to the cross, He says, The world's going to know you're my disciples, not if you move mountains. Not if you heal the sick. Not if you display great power, as awesome as that is. They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. If in the push and the shove and the difficulties of life together, you look like Christ. People will stand up and take notice. So what's our passion? I heard this story that happened probably 20 or so years ago. I don't know the exact date, but it happened actually here in our church. So before we lived here. There was, a, there was a, a little boy in the church, I think probably four or five years old, who was having a birthday. And he was really excited about this birthday, and especially all of the gifts that he was going to receive. He had a list of them, and he's communicating them, and he's just talking about this all the time. And I think his birthday was on Monday, and on Sunday night, the church had a big potluck dinner. And so everybody is back in the community room and getting settled around the tables and all the families with their food. And Pastor Mike stands up to give the, the prayer for the meal. And he begins his prayer by saying, Lord, thank you for your presence here. And a little boy's head pops up and he said, presents? They have presents here? They brought me presents? This is awesome. I'm pretty sure the whole table had a difficult time containing themselves as the prayer was completed. And you know, when I heard that story, I thought, wow. That is so me, and I suspect it's you. Because we're continually faced with the passion, the focus, the decision of our lives. Is it on the presence that God may give us? Or is it on God's presence with us? The choice has huge implications. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your power to us. And for all of your blessings in our lives. And we are so grateful. We can't begin to thank you enough. Father, we want to be passionate about your presence. We want to be passionate about dwelling with you. And you dwelling with us that individually and corporately we are a place where people see you first. Let this be our passion as it was with Moses. And let it lead us and guide us and establish us in this year ahead. Amen.